0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, and welcome to this uh, event, online event that is uh, being organized by uh, the Enhanced Integrated Framework EIF of the WTO, together with the Overseas Development Institute ODI and the International Institute for Environment and Development IIED. My name is Salimul Haq. I'm the director of the International Center for Climate Change and Development uh, in Bangladesh. And I've been asked to uh, moderate this discussion. It's got my great pleasure to do that. So let me start by giving a bit of an introduction to what this is all about, and then I'll explain uh, the procedures that we will follow in terms of uh, presentations and discussions. So we are now in the period the next decade is crucial not only must we deliver these sustainable development goals by 2030 but we must also halve greenhouse gas emissions relative to 2020 levels in the same period so securing climate compatible development is not only going to be possible but only through aligning climate and trade policy in a way that works most for the most vulnerable countries and in particular, the least developed countries with whom I've been working uh, for many years. So this event is part of the aligning climate and trade policy for LDCs and graduates from LDCs together uh, by these three uh, entities that I mentioned, the uh, Enhanced Integrated uh, Framework of the World Trade Organization, uh, ODI, and IIED, um, and it's part of securing climate-compatible uh, trade for the most vulnerable countries. Uh, the way we will uh, uh, conduct this uh, meeting is that we will have a uh, opening remarks from uh, Dr. Uh, Ratnakar Adhikari from the an uh, EIF in the WTO. Um, and then we will have a presentation on the work that has already been done jointly by ODI and IIED uh, presented by uh, Dr. Uh, Jody Keen and Laura Kelly uh, from the, uh, 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 respectively from ODI and IID, and then we have a couple of uh, distinguished discussants, uh, Mr. Rolf Traeger and Mr. Talha Muhammad, who will uh, give their reflections. And then we shall have some time for uh, Q and A from the audience. The format for Q and A uh, will be through the Q and A functions. If you have questions, please put them in there. Uh, they will be relayed to me and I will then uh, invite uh, uh, one of the speakers to respond uh, to your questions. We do have French translation, so we have both English and French. Feel free to use whichever um, language is convenient for you um, and uh, we look forward to having a very interesting uh, discussion on this very important topic uh, uh, that we all are going to have to face. So. Before I invite uh, uh, Dr. Atnakar Adhikari uh, to give his opening remarks, let me just say a few things from my side. I've been working in the field of climate change, particularly impacts of climate change in uh, the most vulnerable communities, in the most vulnerable countries for practically the last 30 years, um, as climate change has become a bigger and bigger reality. And I feel now, and I'm actually speaking from Glasgow uh, where we just I've just arrived a few days before the COP, um, uh, in, and it's extremely uh, you know heavy rainfall and flooding going around here in Glasgow. So climate change has actually arrived in Glasgow uh, before the COP is even starting. Um, and that is a reality that the whole world is going to have to face. So um, trade, WTO, national development, everything now has to take climate change into account. Climate change is not a a separate box that other people deal with. Everybody's going to have to deal with it and learn about it, figure out what to do about it. And everything in future, every investment, every activity will have to take climate into account, both reducing emissions that cause the problem, as well as dealing with the impacts, adverse impacts, which are now a reality uh, everywhere. But particularly in the least developed countries, particularly in the most vulnerable countries. So for the most vulnerable countries, it's a double whammy. They have to deal with uh, development, getting out of poverty at the same time as dealing with these climate impacts that are getting worse. So I'm very pleased to be associated uh, although I wasn't part of the study, but in this uh, event with uh, this effort jointly done by EIF, WTO um, and uh, uh, ODI and, and IID, And I'm looking forward to a a, a good discussion and particularly out of the discussion, some ideas about how we can go forward. Where do we go from here uh, in terms of making these two paths work together and not run on parallel tracks uh, in future? So with that, it's my great pleasure to invite uh, Dr. Ratnakar Adhikari from uh, the uh, EIF at the WTO to give us some opening remarks. Uh, Dr. Adhikari, the floor is yours.
1: Thank you, um, Dr. Huck. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening uh, to all all of you and the participants wherever wherever you are participating from. And I would like to join you, uh, Salim, in welcoming all the panelists and participants to this event. As we all know the world's least developed countries LDCs contribute insignificant amount of carbon into the atmosphere however their populations stand to be hit the hardest due to climate change the LDCs increasingly need to adjust trade and industry towards greener but often complex market access measures this is not easy for those that lack the required investment skills and infrastructure to catalyze green transformation. One of the means through which this can be done by building capacity of LDCs for which Aid for Trade has been making significant contribution. Although there is a significant overlap between Aid for Trade and Climate Finance to help the LDCs to navigate through these challenges, this potential is yet to be fully harnessed i would like to make two key points today focusing on how the ldcs can harness this potential the first point relates to the power of aid for trade to complement climate finance aid for trade is well established international support mechanism for ldcs between 2006 and 2019 aid for trade worth US dollar 400 billion has been dispersed, of which the ldc received close to 30% the odi and IE- iied research which will be presented today shows that developed countries commitment to climate finance have fallen short of the paris agreement target of us dollar 100 billion per year by 2020 this There are often challenges in accessing climate finance, which can be gleaned from the United Nations estimates that LDCs, even after a decent increase in the recent past, have received only 14%. Just to make a comparison between the aid for trade, 30%, climate finance, 14%. Much more can be done to ensure that aid for trade plays a greater role in helping the LDCs to transition to low carbon economies, and to strengthen synergies with climate finance. The LDCs are updating their nationally determined contribution for climate change. There is increasing recognition that many of the recommendations in these NDCs can also mirror aid for trade goals in the areas relating to, for example, agriculture, forestry, extractive, renewable energy, clean transport, et cetera. Furthermore, there is an increasing awareness that trade policy priorities can also have a meaningful impact on carbon reduction measures and the promotion of climate-related technological advances in the LDCs. To this end, closer partnership between trade and climate change partners would be immensely helpful. And that brings me to the second point, which relates to what the EIF has been doing and what more can be done together with this partnership that we have uh, built. Uh, In the recent past, the EIF, which is the only aid for trade program dedicated to the LDCs has adopted a more targeted approach to embedding environmental issues. Every EIF country undertakes a periodic assessment of trade opportunities and challenges through Diagnostic Trade Integration Studies, DTIS for short. These studies provide a comprehensive analysis of trade environment and offer a platform for the integration of priority issues into government policies and donor programming. Several countries' studies already include environmental and climate-related issues in their analysis. The DTIS for Tuvalu, facing the dramatic consequences of climate change in the Pacific region devotes over a quarter of the entire analysis to exploring this topic and the implication for trade. The EIF's new DTI's guidelines now include environment as a cross-cutting issue to be systematically analyzed in all these studies. More recently, stemming from the launch of the Trade and Climate Change Nexus report in September 2021, World Bank and EIF have planned to work together to strengthen the DTIS guidelines, reflecting climate change issues. Similarly, the findings of the analysis conducted by ODI and IIED will immediately inform ongoing and future LDCs DTISs to better tackle the nexus between trade and climate related policies. At the country level, the EIF works with the LDCs to build the resilience of these countries facing direct impact of climate change and the resulting desertification and extreme weather events. We have supported such initiatives in LDCs such as Lesotho, Mali and Vanuatu and are now working in Ethiopia and Timor-Leste. The AI provides the LDCs with other support windows such as feasibility studies to explore the technical feasibility and economic viability of climate related projects that also address LDC's supply-side constraints. An example could be exploring the possibility of accessing the viability of installing solar plants at a scale in a power-deficit LDC such as Bangladesh. The EIF also provides the LDCs with project preparation grant that can be used to develop bankable project which could help the LDCs to access climate finance. Furthermore, The EIF can also provide catalytic funding to help, for example, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through trade facilitation projects that help to shorten the waiting time at the border and prevent the waste of perishable agriculture products. Strengthen green climate smart value chains and facilitate the import of climate friendly technologies. The research to be presented today will certainly show us some pathways towards the opportunities that lies ahead for the LDCs in a green climate-sensitive trading environment. We look forward to learning more to explore how the EIF can move quickly to support this transition. I wish you productive deliberation. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Atnaka Radhikari for those excellent remarks. Uh, uh, Before I move on and give the floor to the next two speakers, uh, let me just share a couple of thoughts from my side. Uh, in response to your excellent uh, uh, thoughts. Uh, firstly, I'm not a trade expert, so please forgive me if I don't uh, have all the details right. But one of the areas that is of particular interest to me is on sharing knowledge across borders. Uh, and that is actually a trade as well. You know, Consulting companies make money out of uh, providing knowledge to companies, uh, to countries. And when it comes to adaptation to climate change in particular, um, there is actually a potential possibility of some LDCs and particular my country, Bangladesh to share our knowledge with other countries. Uh, We don't necessarily need other countries coming up and telling us what to do. We can in fact help them. And as I mentioned, I'm here in Scotland right now which is being flooded by rains. In Bangladesh, we get flooded all the time and we are well adapted to that and we can help Scotland and England. Uh, adapt to the impacts of climate change as well. So it isn't a one-way street in terms of rich countries helping poor countries. It is actually a two-way street in which poor countries can actually help uh, rich countries adapt to the impacts of climate change, which they're not ready to do by the way. They are not uh, uh, capacitated to do that as we saw with the recent floods in Germany killing 200 German citizens. That doesn't happen in Bangladesh anymore. We don't die from floods. And so that's an area I'd be very interested in exploring uh, with you later. How do we make knowledge uh, exchange south-south and even south-to-north as part of the larger framing of climate change and trade uh, going forward? So thank you very much, uh, Dr. Adhikari, uh, for those remarks. Uh, Let us now move on to our uh, presentations. There are two presenters who are going to present the main report that was done uh, collectively by the two organizations that I mentioned, IID and ODI. Uh, first, we're going to have Jody Keene. Dr. Jody Keene is a Senior Research Fellow uh, at, at the International Economic Development Group of the Overseas Development Institute. And then secondly, we will have Laura Kelly, who is Director of the Shaping Sustainable Markets of the International Institute for Environment and Development, IID. Uh, so over to you, Jody.
2: Thank you very much, uh, moderator, for the, the kind introduction. And yes, as you mentioned, about halfway through the, the presentation, I'll be swapping over um, with Laura. So I'm just going to share my um, screen with you now. I hope you can all see that. Um, so thank you, moderator. Thank you also to the panelists uh, for joining us here today and also you, the audience. And we look forward to interacting with you um, shortly uh, as we get through the, um, the presentation. And so today I'm just going to the, the structure of the presentation really is in four parts. I'm just going to briefly introduce the project, the issues, and the process of how we've been engaging with the LDC groups, both in terms of climate and trade. And then I'm going to pick up on some of what we've we consider to be the kind of the implications um, looking ahead to COP26 and MC12 of, of the research that we've we've undertaken. So, firstly, in terms of the the, the project. Um, This project really was born out of a number of discussions between ODI colleagues and and the IIED. And Some of you may know that already there's an existing programme of of support that IIED leads um, in supporting climate change negotiators. And ODI in the trade programme, we've undertaken quite a lot of support to LDCs who are graduating. So that means that they're actually actually exiting from the LDC um, status. Um, But through our conversations, we found that, you know, there wasn't really much, we hadn't really considered what the trade, uh, sorry, what the climate related effects of graduation may be. So this is why we began some conversations with IIED and to kind of focus and zoom in on the graduation issues. Um, So thinking about you know there's a smooth transition strategy that's being sought um, in in relation to to trade and the LDC group is, is looking for an outcome on this an agreement by all WTO members to support smooth transition strategies, but there hadn't been really much consideration within the realm of climate. And this is partly because, you know, much still remains to be agreed under the UNFCCC, in particular, and with regards to carbon markets and and climate finance. But it's also really symptomatic of the fact, as the moderator uh, mentioned, that trade and climate discussions, they're undertaken in kind of parallel lines. They're not really joined up. So the kind of graduation issue is really symptomatic of the need for greater alignment between uh, trade and climate policy. Um, So we began to kind of map out some of the links between climate change issues and trade discussions, and I've just summarized here on the slide three of the areas that we picked up of, in particular, issues around carbon markets, technology and, and finance. Um, so, of course, in relation to carbon markets, there's still so much that's yet to be agreed under the UNFCCC process, but when we look at uh, conversations that are related to carbon markets, but the link isn't always explicitly made, the conversation is really dominated by border carbon uh, adjustment measures. Um, so, we, we can see that there's beginning to be some discussion of, of these trade and climate linkages, but it's it's actually quite limited. So, Within the um, structured discussions on environmental um, sustainability, it's abbreviated to the TESSD. The, the discussion related to trade and climate is limited to, to border carbon adjustment measures um, at the moment. Um, this group is, is a large group, so we're beginning to see momentum within the WTO around Environmental and climate issues. The group is around 50, comprises around 55 countries at the moment, and there's a handful of LDCs that are taking part in those those conversations, um, currently. We then began to look at technology, the issues around technology and the commitments that have been made under the UNFCCC process and compared and contrasted these to WTO discussions. And of course, there's been a lot of emphasis on kind of TRIPS, the um, trade related intellectual property rights flexibilities since COVID-19. And this also has issues for LDCs in terms of accessing Climate change-related technologies um, in the future. So the, this, this subject of environmental goods and services and technologies is being picked up within the structured discussions at, at the WTO at the moment. But we also know that those conversations have been long hampered by, you know, what's on what, what goods are on the list, what goods and services are, are, are on the lists. Um, we've then also looked at finance, so climate finance related issues. These were picked up in some of the remarks made by um, Dr. Ratnakar early earlier we know that existing commitments to climate finance have have not been met to date and this you know really is um, of of deep concern for ldcs but on the other hand we know that resources channeled through aid for trade and in particular for ldcs through the enhanced integrated framework you know these have grown and they have a strong focus on on productive capacity and strong focus on kind of infrastructure energy and so on and these are often very much the sectors that are the focus that are included within countries nationally determined contributions as well so clearly there's a need there's there's much potential for the two mechanisms to to work much more um, closely uh, together so the slide here is just to kind of point out to you you know that there's there is some momentum at the WTO. we are beginning to see some aspects of climate change being discussed but it doesn't yet really reflect you know, the climate emergency that that we are in, you know, there's a move, there's a need to move beyond this very narrow focus on border carbon adjustment measures to open up the the conversation to focus on issues around carbon markets, carbon pricing, carbon standards, um, and so on. And of course, you know, participation of LDCs in these conversations should should be um, boosted um, too. So overall, We would say momentum is growing, but there's still some way to go with regards to to really considering climate change effects, both the regulatory effects of climate change as LDCs need to adapt to to policy measures applied elsewhere, as well as the physical um, effects of of climate change as emphasised by the moderator. LDCs are going to be the hardest hit, contributed the least to the to the problem, and they they have to essentially adopt new development models. You know, and this is this is um, unprecedented. So looking ahead to to MC12 there are still some questions as to how LDC trade and climate interests may be reflected in some of the ministerial statements that we know are forthcoming. So from the the structured discussions on trade and environmental sustainability, we know that a statement is forthcoming. We don't yet know how LDC uh, trade and climate interests may be reflected within that and um, there's likely to be a statement coming also from the committee from trade and environment again this may be quite general and loose we still don't know, you know how LDC interests will be reflected and still <clears throat> the LDC group is working hard to try and secure across all WTO members support for LDC's smooth transition from LDC status so essentially the group is seeking a 12-year transitional period whereby they can ex they will exit the, the LDC category. And this is you know, a reflection of their development progress, their, their gains in terms of increasing incomes, reducing poverty, and so on. But it's this securing a smooth transition so that they're not affected by the kind of um adversely affected by the, the kind of quick removal of, of tariff preferences and so on. So it's seeking this kind of 12-year transitional period. Obviously, climate change, you know, considering the effects of climate change increases the impetus really to secure that that smooth transition. Um, But we are yet to see whether all WTO uh, members will agree. Bangladesh has been one of the main proponents of that that, um, proposal. And of course, Bangladesh is also one of the most climate vulnerable um, economies uh, in the world. Just before I hand over to Laura, I had also mentioned, it was mentioned earlier by Dr. Ratnakar, some of the examples of small island states, Kiribati and Tuvalu, these LDCs they have resisted graduation. Actually, they've they've hit the, the thresholds for some time, but they have continued to resist graduation because they are concerned about exiting the, the strategy without there being uh, appropriate support measures that, that recognize their environmental, severe, extreme environmental vulnerabilities to, to climate change. So these are the kind of main issues looking ahead on the trade side. And I'll now pass over to uh, Laura um, for reflections on the climate side. Laura, over Shall to me? you.
3: Great. Great. Um, Very good to be here today. And as um, Salim said, it is uh, in Glasgow that they're seeing the impact of climate change. I'm in London at the moment. And similarly, uh, it's pouring with rain outside, but it's also 16 Celsius. So incredibly warm for the time of year, the kind of variability that we're seeing, really highlighting the urgency of the need for progress at COP and at MC12. So Jodie, if I could have the next slide, please. Hopefully, the technology is going to work. Great, thank you. Um, the LDCs um, have been working really hard over the last year, chaired by um, uh, Ambassador Sonam from um, Bhutan. Uh, IID has been working with them um, uh, around their uh, their preparations, and um, as Salim has said, they are already in uh, in Glasgow. So these are the sorts of things that they have been working on and are uh, pushing forward as their priority asks uh, at the COP. Um, We're seeing, uh, as we've said, this uh, need for an increase in ambition in the NDCs. Many countries have made net zero commitments, but the timeframes and the depth of those is not necessarily um, what we need to keep within uh, 1.5 degrees. Another issue is the way that those are being framed. And if they are real commitments and real cuts being made, or if there is Um, carbon um, uh, sinks being introduced, tree planting and so on. So actually really um, seeing that the NDC commitments are meaningful and also that they are measurable and that there is transparency there. Uh, Also the need for uh, loss and damage, this is a mechanism that was agreed within Paris um, for the uh, most vulnerable countries to to be compensated. Progress on that has been slow, and uh, the review uh, coming up at COP will be really important for those vulnerable LDCs and and small island states that we've just been talking about. Um, Jodie's already mentioned the sort of the carbon markets angle and the the linked trade. Again, this is an important uh, issue for discussion at Glasgow. It's very contentious. The, The EU have just put forward proposals for their carbon border adjustment mechanisms, but they haven't really consulted very broadly on that hopefully there is potential to to explore these issues at COP and to get a greater understanding of what the implications might be for LDCs, who at the moment might not be exporting or affected by these um, new rules, but actually as their economies grow and they want to export more, then they could be impacted. Climate finance, this huge commitment that was made by um, developed countries to provide um, a billion dollars a year, by 2020, We know that that's been missed um, this week. Uh, the UK and others have said that it will be met in 2023, but that is just not soon enough. We've also at IID shown that um, the LDCs face a huge gap in financing of that 100 billion and not, not a large amount has, has flowed to them. So they're facing a sort of nearly 100 billion a year financing gap themselves. Um, And then the actual rules the sort of the rules-based system, sometimes the slightly more boring and prosaic parts of both climate and trade negotiations, that actually the rules are agreed and that there is transparency on reporting timeframes and so on. This is a really key issue to build trust in the system. Next slide, please, Jodie. So if we now think about what we've been trying to do in this joint project between... um, ODI and IID funded by the EIF, we focused our approach to build linkages between the um, LDC trade and climate um, communities, but also to build through seminars like this and through our research projects, greater awareness of what the issues actually look like and what you might do to respond to them. Uh, We've had a series of closed meetings with um, the Trade and Climate LDCs, and it's been great to see so many participate at what is a really busy time for them in the run-up to COP and to MC12. Um, Coming out of that, we hope, will be some commitments to to work together going forward for for, for more coordination on issues that are emerging and where there are areas of overlap. And then we've produced, or we are in the process of producing them, they're not actually um, available yet, Three policy briefs on areas of um, relevant research that the two LDC groups said would be particularly useful for them. Climate finance and and aid for trade obviously is a really key one. um, And considering how there's potential synergies between climate finance and aid for trade. Looking at uh, carbon markets and standards, the kinds of issues that LDCs might want to consider uh, as they look at how they might be impacted. on things like CBAMs. And then the technology transfer issue, how to mobilize um, the support that is committed to in both UNF and CCC, um, UNF, C and WTO agreements. Sorry. And I think I'm um, picking up on Celine's point earlier: technology transfer isn't just about northern technologies transferred. It's also about South-South transfer. It's also about um, making the technologies that are available appropriate in the local situations. if you just say a little bit about what we've found in each of these areas. Um, Next slide please Jodie. So on the technology transfer one that um, IID has been leading on, we've actually seen that there is really potential for there to be greater synergies between the UNFCCC and WTO mechanisms. There's a lot of commitments around technical assistance provisions, provisions of finance, looking at how things are transferred in a way that is locally appropriate, building the institutional capacity to absorb technologies. Those are themes that are common between both the trade and the climate technology transfer negotiations. I'm gonna hand back to Jodie now to um, give you a quick update on the climate finance, aid for trade and carbon markets and standards work.
2: Thank, thank you very much, um, Laura. Um, so yes, so within within the briefings that, that will be um, publicly available soon, And we've demonstrated that there is scope for aid for trade and climate uh, finance to work more effectively together. It kind of requires both um, a kind of update of of conceptual frameworks for the NDCs themselves so that the trade is, is mainstreamed. And then it's kind of considering climate change effects more broadly within aid for trade programming. I think it's really important to emphasize that there's an important window of opportunity here um, as we approach the uh, next global aid for trade review uh, next year, 2022. So already we know that within the discussions on greening aid for trade, which have taken part, uh, taken place so far within the WTO structured discussions on trade and environmental sustainability, it's kind of moved from solely considering environmental impacts and so on to, to the broader the kind of bigger issue of of, of climate change um, effects. So it's thinking about how to update um, those conceptual frameworks. I think also at the operational level, there may be some lessons that can be learned and from the provision of of aid for trade, because in the realm of climate finance, the challenges of accessing climate finance are, are consistently um, reported by by LDCs. So there may be some operational kind of at the operational level some lessons that can be learned. And of course, donors must also improve their coordination. And you know, often. The donors are providing both climate finance and aid for trade support but they're not joined up um, at the moment so there is a need for a kind of more coordinated um, a- a- approach and thinking smartly about how these two mechanisms um, can work more effectively together. It gets a bit more trickier you know when you consider the issues around just transition and you know helping countries move from fossil fuels to renewable energies Um, So in relation to carbon markets and standards, we looked at two types of carbon markets. This includes the first type, which I mentioned in relation to Article 6 of the UNFCCC, where where negotiations are underway for a multilateral framework to guide baseline and credit uh, mechanisms at the current time. And then we looked at the second type, which is the, which are the cap and trade emissions trading schemes, such as the, the European unions. So, yes, at the current time, it looks like there may be limited effects on LDCs from the border carbon adjustment measures. But, you know, Mozambique is really in the firing line um, at, at the current time. So it, it still is a cause for concern. And by by LDCs. And as Laura mentioned, as their economies grow and diversify, more sectors uh, may be targeted and affected um, in the future. And there's kind of limited scope for adaptation at the moment. You know, trade costs are likely to increase. How can countries mitigate um, these measures? I can see already um, in the chat box, there's a comment about, you know, why don't LDCs apply border carbon adjustment measures themselves? Well, as, uh, in in you know, theoretically they could but they would need their own emissions trade you know to be to do what the EU is doing they would also need their own emissions trading scheme although that is just one way in which which you can do it but I think that's um, certainly looking ahead for both types of carbon markets and their different types of trade related implications there's a need to ensure effective carbon pricing with agreed methodologies and approaches and we also need common carbon standards we don't have them uh, yet thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, both uh, Jody, as well as Laura, for that excellent uh, presentation. We're very pleased to have now with us uh, two very distinguished uh, uh, panelists or discussants, and I'll give them the floor each to uh, share some reactions and, and uh, views uh, on what they've just heard. Uh, I'll introduce both of them first, and then I'll give the floor uh, to uh, the first and then the second. So the first uh, uh, panelist we have is Mr. Rolf Traeger, who is the chief LDC section of the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, or UNCTAD. Um, and then the second distinguished panelist is Mr. Muhammad Alim Talha, who is the counselor, economic and commercial affairs at the permanent mission of the Republic of Chad to the UN office in Geneva, and also the LDC group coordinator. So first, let me come to um, Rolf Traeger. Mr. Traeger, uh, as you are in the LDC section of uh, UNCTAD, uh, uh, what is your reaction? Have they missed anything? Is there something there that you think uh, needs to be added or could be added uh, in the analysis that ODI and IID have just uh, shared with us? Over to you, uh, Mr. Traeger. Uh,
4: Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Salim. I'd like to start uh, by thanking the organizers of this very important event for inviting myself and Nankta to be present. Of course, uh, the questions which are being discussed here, they are absolutely crucial to uh, the LDCs and hence to our work on uh, LDCs. And uh, I think that the project which, uh, which we are discussing today is a major contribution towards bringing coherence in international and multilateral policymaking. Because all too often what we see is that there is a disconnect between different fora of uh, discussions, uh, even as they relate to development and more specifically to LDCs, whether we are talking about uh, trade fora, finance fora, climate fora etc, even uh, the UN. So I think that this is uh, a major uh, contribution. And I think that uh, what has been presented is a very careful um, um, research on what the issues are, but also on, on the way forward. And so therefore I think it's a major contribution to policy making and to bring this uh, greater coherence. I would just like uh, to add uh, that, uh, and of course uh, harking back on our, uh, our own uh, research on uh, LDCs, uh, uh, and I'd like to uh, call the attention to the importance of structural transformation of the LDC economies because uh, we have uh, long argued uh, that uh, structural transformation is the conditio sine qua non for LDCs uh, to meet their development targets, whether we are talking about SDGs, uh, environmental targets, social targets, etc. And uh, uh, this uh, structural uh, transformation that we are talking about, it uh, supposes the technological progress in all sectors of economic activity, whether we are talking about industry, about agriculture, about services, uh, but also, and critically, the transfer of resources, of labor, capital, etc., to new sectors, new types of uh, economic activities. And this is particularly crucial in terms of the green uh, transition. And there are a number of examples which could be given here. Uh, For instance, in terms of of agriculture, this is an absolutely critical sector for LDC economies. We have to think that we have 56% of the labor force working in agriculture. And this, giving the geographic location of all LDCs, whether they are coastal countries, seeds, or landlocked. Countries is a major sector which will be very directly impacted by uh, climate change, and uh, this is already taking place. So, this is uh, an area where you have major adaptation needs. But also, another sector which is very important, which are the extractive uh, sectors of LDCs. And here you have different scenarios. You have those uh, countries which are he- heavily reliant on the extraction of oil of carbon, of gas, and which face the risk of uh, being heavily reliant on stranded assets. But at the same time, you also have some opportunities like uh, the growing demand for, uh, let's say, non-traditional type of metals like lithium, et cetera, which in the digital economy, uh, the economy for them is growing much more. So, I mean, there you have opportunities. But even there, for them to uh, take advantage of these opportunities, it's important for them not to continue on an extractivist mode of economic activity, but to move towards greater processing, towards greater capacity building in terms of uh, technology, uh, processing, etc., of building linkages uh, domestically. And all of this uh, will uh, hopefully amount to structural transformation. So all of this means that, uh, what the uh, what the ldc's uh, need uh, is some green industrial policy which aims to the structural transformation to the way they produce and consume etc and in order to implement uh, these uh, green uh, industrial policy they need a much uh, stronger uh, support from the international community and of course in terms of uh, implementing uh, Uh, these policies for structural transformation, the trade policies, the climate policies, environmental policies, they have an absolutely crucial uh, role to play, but also the support of the international community is absolutely crucial, particularly in terms of technology and finance, which we have already mentioned here, but also again, in terms of the CBAM schemes, which are being put in place, it's necessary to think uh, when these schemes are further defined and put in place uh, about the need to insert in them special and differential treatment for LDCs in these schemes. And I'll stop here. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Treger, for some very, very thoughtful uh, comments. I'm sure uh, these will be picked up in the Q&A. I hope you can stick around uh, to uh, respond to questions as well. Uh, now let me turn to our second um, uh, panelist, who is, uh, I've already introduced, Mr. Muhammad Ali Talha from uh, Chad. Uh, Mr. Talha, uh, please uh, share your thoughts uh, from the LDC country's perspective. Uh, uh, um, what do you feel needs to be done. If you have any comments on the study, but also uh, what you think needs to be done going forward. And let me remind everybody that we have French translation. uh, So if you wish to listen in French or in English, you have to choose the language you wish. Uh, Mr. Talha, uh, the floor is yours.
5: Bien, merci beaucoup, uh, Dr. Salim. Uh, je voudrais tout d'abord... Thank you,
6: Dr. Salim. Uh, first of all, on behalf of uh, the uh, least developed LDCs group, I would wish to thank and congratulate the organizers for this uh, uh, important initiative that has allowed us to discuss and see in what way we can contribute to um, advancing this important issue and seeing how uh, we can align uh, climate and trade uh, for LDCs. Uh, Moderator, you mentioned in your introduction an important uh, aspect, an interesting aspect for us, especially regarding sharing of experience and good practices. This dimension is, is, is important. There are approaches, of course, from uh, uh, countries in the South that could be useful elsewhere we need to uh, draw from uh, what has worked and uh, see how we can scale up the efforts to uh, correct uh, their errors, to correct the mistakes, and avoid some of those mistakes in the LDCs. For our subject today, this afternoon, during uh, their event on the 26th of October uh, this week, Uh, The uh, coordinating ambassador uh, mentioned that uh, the recent extreme climatic events should contribute to um, raising political awareness on the need to act uh, on, uh, uh, you know, global warming and uh, uh, climate changes because this is an important aspect that uh, uh, the entire world is going to uh, face and the interaction uh, between um, climate change and trade uh, should be understood for us to be able to uh, obtain uh, concrete results. Most of the LDCs have already uh, faced uh, challenges in accessing markets. There are challenges in production, like uh, Rudolph said, uh, this climate change in terms of physical changes. Uh, on the productive structures uh, and their regulatory structures uh, influence the market and uh, create new challenges. Uh, of course, opportunities uh, exist, and these could be uh, harnessed, uh, but uh, entering new uh, green um, uh, trade, you know, uh, supply chains, uh, is important, and uh, LDCs would need support to be able to adapt uh, to this new uh, trade uh, environment that is going to be shaped by uh, the main actors uh, and their ambitions, of course. The momentum has uh, uh, been identified at uh, WTO, but this momentum does not reflect uh, the climatic uh, emergency that we are facing at the moment. And uh, from the LDC groups uh, that are graduating uh, in the next, or will be graduating in the next few years, uh, they need to guarantee strategies, transition strategies based on uh, supportive uh, measures. Uh, such as preferential uh, trade uh, measures are important, uh, taking into, um, you know, climate change uh, effects, taking into account climate change effects and developing uh, supportive mechanisms. Today, uh, 26 LDCs are involved uh, in graduation measures, and uh, 19 of those are members of the WTO. Uh, If, of course, you um, look at that compared to the 35 LDCs that we know of, uh, those that are graduating from the LDC category, it would mean that the graduating country loses access uh, to specific uh, supportive mechanisms, especially for trade. Uh, And uh, these uh, measures like uh, preferential tariffs, uh, preferential uh, trade regimes, or differentiated trade regimes, and uh, uh, at the time uh, we are facing the COVID pandemic, Uh, so we Removing these measures, these preferential measures for these uh, countries, uh, leads these countries uh, to uh, fall into the LDC category after graduating. These risks have been identified, but no uh, formal mechanisms at the WTO have been put in place to uh, make a flexible transition. And the LDCs that have been uh, adversely affected by COVID have not been supported um, at a time when they have also uh, faced climate change effects. So the small, secure WTO countries could help In opening up the necessary policy space uh, for these countries to adapt it has been clearly understood that the ldc's um, face major environmental and economic vulnerabilities and uh, since we are facing uh, this climatic emergency the number of uh, uh, ldc's that are affected by the current situation by the difficult uh, situation um known and I think it is time to start thinking about the international uh, supportive mechanisms, uh, these, uh, um, the A4T, uh, 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 you know, aid for uh, trade and uh, making sure that all these measures are aligned uh, to uh, SDGs and adaptation mechanisms. Um, for climate change, uh, this uh, uh, export diversification as an adaptation mechanism that has to be insisted on, and we continue to insist upon it because if we do not have that di- diversification approach, we will not be able to uh, advance in this area. Of course, what remains difficult to get uh, before uh, the climate change are uh, the you know the mechanisms that we need to improve in coordination. Um, especially on issues uh, such as technology uh, transfer uh, for us to be able to support uh, these diversification efforts from the ldcs and be able to reduce our economic and environmental vulnerabilities Uh, well uh, these are my first thoughts uh, concerning uh, the approaches and uh, the aspects uh, that uh, the LDCs have been working on especially regarding the linkages between climate change and trade. Thank you moderator.
0: Thank you very much uh, Mr. Tala. Uh, merci beaucoup Mr. Tala. Uh, so let me um, now in the interest of time and I see that we have quite a few good questions in the QA and a box. Uh, um, move to the QA section and I'll invite um, all our speakers and panelists, Rolf, uh, Jody, uh, Laura and uh, uh, Mr. Tala uh, to stay with us and and feel free to uh, jump in with comments and views if you wish. I might direct questions to each of you, but you are all uh, at liberty to uh, chip in if you wanted to do that as well. So I'm going to start with one uh, 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 first question that comes from uh, Kare Johard. I hope I'm pronouncing that right which is to you, Jody. He says, uh, or she says, in your view, what needs to be done to better engage LDCs in TESSD? I'm afraid I don't know what that acronym refers to. I, I assume you do. Uh, so far, they have been somewhat absent in discussion on, for example, EGA and a fossil fuel subsidy reform statement. Uh, Jody, do you want to
2: take that? Yes, thank you very much. Yes, it's a very important question. I'm I'm quite pleased to say that um, there does a, appear to see to be some progress, um, and so I was uh, informed by that the EIF um, and uh, the WTO secretariat, that there are efforts to um, ensure that this the structured discussion, so the TESSD is the Trade and Environmental Sustainability Structured Discussions. So it's the, the large group around 55 countries at the moment that are taking part in those discussions. There are efforts um, to bring in um, the LDC um, perspective. And I do believe that, that will be take, this, this will be taking place actually within the next few weeks um, ahead of, of, of MC12. So that is a really, really positive um, development. I think it always comes down to, you know, capacity addressing capacity constraints, um, and also, you know, providing support in terms of analytical work as well. So that LDCs who don't have the capacity to to undertake that analytical work themselves can see that, you know, there may be benefits to um, joining those discussions. So I think it's that that kind of sensitizing. and providing that um, addressing those uh, capacity constraints obviously um, the EIF has helped to uh, through this kind of catalytic um, project and um, that the EIF supported we've been able to make some headway but I do hope you know that the this the work stream that we've we've begun to develop can be continued um, in, in the future I, I really do um, I don't know Laura if you had any other um, thoughts on that also
0: <clears throat> Laura okay. So thank you very much uh, for that, Jody. Let me move on to a second question, which is um, from Simon Maxwell, who's actually quite a few questions, but I'm going to pick one uh, to start us off with. And perhaps uh, Laura, I might ask you to uh, be the first respondent and others if they wish to. Uh, The question is, does the panel have a view on how LDCs should approach trade impact issues of carbon emissions from aviation and shipping? In an ideal world, would they be champions of aggressive carbon pricing in aviation and shipping? And are there any WTO implications? Laura, any thoughts?
3: Thank you, yes, Um, I see a lot of questions from Simon. I mean, that's a really good one to um, to pick on. I think um, it's quite interesting. Um, COVID has had an impact on many global supply chains. And uh, we've been involved in a, a project at IID funded by um, FCDO looking at uh, horticultural exports from East Africa, so places like Tanzania and, and Kenya, obviously some LDCs, which is used to being air freighted um, directly on the passenger flights that are going from um, those countries. Obviously, they stopped during COVID, pretty much stopped. So actually... One of the projects looked at using sea freight technologies, so um, uh, using um, different gases to slow down the ripening of fruits, um, to enable flowers to be packed in bud, and then to be sea freighted. Now obviously, bunker fuels aren't the cleanest, but actually the overall carbon impacts of that have seemed to uh, have been shown to be quite positive. So I think this is perhaps it's a bit of a technology issue it's about using new and innovative technologies to to do things differently so i think that's the kind of solutions that we need to be thinking about rather than saying actually you should you know you, you should stop moving things around that you actually look at how you can do things sort of in, in a cleaner and more inclusive way
0: rolf would you like to come in on this please Yes, uh, just uh, I'd
4: like to make a very short uh, comment on uh, following up on uh, Laura has uh, just said. It's the fact that uh, some SIDS, LDCs, Tuvalu, etc., they have been pushing uh, very, very strongly for carbon taxes on aviation, etc. But uh, it's so, uh, then uh, you might say, well, but I mean, many of these countries, particularly the Pacific Seeds, since they are dependent on tourism, so are they shooting themselves on the foot? and uh, so it's not, it's obviously not the case but i mean the question is what you do with the proceeds of uh, such taxes and the proposal is that they should be used to finance their diversification their transformation etc and uh, i'd like just to mention another interesting example also in east africa which was uh, the case of ethiopia in which uh, talking about innovation etc during uh, the pandemic uh, of course uh, passenger uh, movement was almost uh, came to nil. So Ethiopian Airlines uh, was very deft in switching its business model towards uh, freight cargo rather than passenger movement. So, I mean, this shows how you can have uh, innovative solutions coming from these countries and which can be shared with other countries, as was mentioned here earlier. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Rolf, for that. Uh, Let me now move on to another question, which comes from Yvette Stevens. And I'll uh, invite uh, Monsieur Tala, perhaps, to have a first go and then other panelists, if they wish to uh, chip in. The question is, for LDCs to benefit better in global trade, they need to add value to their primary commodities and to industrialize. For these, they would require greater power supply. While realizing that the long term costs of renewable energy compete favorably with the costs of power generation using fossil fuels, we know that the capital upfront cost of renewables might be prohibitive for LDCs. So the question then is would climate finance provide such financing? Uh, Mr. Tala, would you like to have a go at this? And then I'll open it for the other panelists.
5: Merci beaucoup, uh, le C'est une uh, thank
6: you, uh, moderator. Uh, this is an interesting and important question. Certainly, we need financing uh, to implement uh, the projects. Uh, you mentioned uh, the energy issue. It is important because, you know, if we do not have access to energy, we cannot develop, we cannot... Um, implement um, major development projects without energy these are important issues that uh, we have been raising in the multilateral uh, discussion forum Um, especially the discussions that uh, uh, we have already had have raised uh, awareness about this important issue and we hope we are going to get the necessary financing for us to be able to Uh, implement the different uh, projects uh, from the LDCs. I would wish to add, uh, you know, you usually uh, think uh, that, you know, in the past, uh, LDCs thought uh, that uh, environment issues are not important issues for the WTO. We see today that this is an important cross-cutting issue. You cannot say that agriculture is a priority if you are not um, taking into account uh, the consequences of climate change. You have floods that destroy gardens. You have floods that destroy farms. So agriculture is a priority, but you cannot consider agriculture without associating it to climate change. You cannot say that it is important to negotiate fishing rights. If you are not taking into account Uh, the impact of over exploitation of the fish resources that we have and protecting uh, the endangered fish uh, species uh, on, uh, you know, goods and uh, other services. There are several examples that we could raise. This is why it is important. There's the issue um, that has been raised here. That is important. If we do not have the necessary means, we cannot achieve these objectives. So the financing, Uh, aspect is uh, critical and we need to find ways uh, of presenting these needs and priorities at the uh, formal organs and we need the financing um,
0: for these. Uh, Thank you, moderator. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Tala. Uh, Any other comments from any of the other um, panelists? Jody, please go ahead and then uh, Rolf, if you wish to.
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I think this is the kind of the, this is the, the really the question really gets to the heart of the problem with regards to climate finance, and this is precisely why we we need you know agreement on Article Six as well. So it, this would help to secure the future of the Sustainable Development Mechanism, which is precisely the sort of mechanism that would enable countries, developing countries, to to make those those decisions. So real so investing in projects that can. Um, provide emissions reductions essentially so you're, you're not going for a fossil fuel strategy you're going for a clean renewable energy strategy and this the sustainable development mechanism in theory should should help leverage the climate finance to assist in making those sorts of decisions so that's why you know these discussions at COP26 are, are really really so important. Um, just briefly looking at um, the kind of alignment between African recovery strategies and the um, green recovery action plan for Africa. And we can see that um, renewable energy you know, there really is a a need for a lot more work on renewable energy to ensure greater alignment between recovery strategies and this um, Green Recovery Action Plan for Africa, which also includes um, within it, a a specific pillar on on climate finance um, also. So absolutely key, it really is a a, a very good question.
0: Thank you very much. Rolf, did you want to come in? Yes, uh,
4: very shortly concerning this uh, issue on uh, energy availability access to energy and industrialization i mean we uh, dedicated the ldc report 2017 exactly to energy issues and there what we saw is that still uh, you have almost 60% of uh, energy supply on average in ldcs comes from traditional biomass so that's a lot of work uh, to do towards uh, renewable energy etc cetera, etc cetera. so the Uh, the investment requirements are normal, so how do you justify them? Well, the only way to to make, in a sense, ends meet uh, is to put uh, energy policy together with policies for structural transformation, Mm -hmm. because the whole point uh, is to have some some form of industrialization and diversification, which generates a mass of companies, uh, of commercial users of energy, which uh, have a higher capacity to pay for more than energy, which then can allow also uh, some sort of subsidization uh, of energy for the poor population. But for this, you need to have the, uh, the transformational policies in place, uh, which uh, bring in place new forms of activity, new sectors of activity. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, um, uh, Rolf. Uh, we are coming towards the end of our uh, time, but let me take another question. In fact, this is for you, Rolf, as well. It's from Simon Maxwell, who asks, uh, "Good" or makes a comment and then asks a question. He says, "Good points about a green industrial revolution in LDCs. Would you also want to see protection of domestic industries to make that possible? And would such policies be WTO compatible?" Rolf, tricky question.
4: Yeah. Well, okay. It's definitely <laughs> a, a very <laughs> tricky question. Well, the point is that. Uh, Uh, The the issue of uh, doing infant industry protection, etc., or uh, whatever form of protection for industrialization is not a black or white uh, uh, issue, it's not either you do it or you don't, there are all sorts of different mechanisms through which uh, you can do this. And so, uh, something that we have uh, been uh, pushing for is uh, uh, a strong emphasis not just in domestic markets but in regional markets. So, you have uh, some new uh, initiatives like the AFCFTA, etc., which do provide a scope for the development of uh, transformative projects in terms of infrastructure, in terms of industrialization, with the aim of uh, serving. A regional markets particularly in uh, through the transformation of raw materials, of uh, agricultural materials, metals, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think that probably some light form of uh, of uh, protectionism applied very smartly on a temporary basis, probably this will be required. I mean, of course it has to be compatible with international trade commitments, WTO, et cetera, but uh, uh, it's very important that it's applied in, uh, Uh, in a smart way, and with the famous reciprocal requirements of industrial policy, etc., etc. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Raoul. So, um, as I said, we are coming towards the end, um, and I would like to uh, wrap up by giving um, each of you a minute each to share some thoughts, and I see uh, Monsieur Tala has his hand up, so I'll give the floor first to Uh, And maybe we'll go in reverse order uh, for the final concluding remarks and uh, just some reflections. And I'd like you to think a little bit about uh, what next? Where do we go from here? Uh, What do you think should be priorities for us to continue this type of conversation, this type of discussion, bringing together the two strands of climate and trade uh, in the least developed countries in particular? Mr. Tala, uh, you have the first uh, intervention.
5: Merci beaucoup, uh, Dr. Salim. Uh, thank you, Doctor Salim. We would uh, simply, in uh, order to conclude, say that uh, the LDCs have contributed least to the climate change. However, they are confronted to the extreme vulnerabilities. In the most uh, least uh, developed countries are. Uh, going through some, uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, natural uh, catastrophes, natural um, uh, such as uh, Bangladesh and others, according to specialists, uh, such episodes uh, are uh, only increasing and they are going to increase in years to come. That's why it's very important that. Uh, Whenever we talk of trade, uh, we need to consider uh, aspects uh, linked to. Adaptation, climate adaptation, as well as uh, mitigation. This is extremely important. These are uh, pertinent issues uh, for uh, LDCs. Such discussions, uh, like what we are uh, doing now, contribute in creating um, dynamics in um, uh, uh, of course, uh, um, COP26 uh, in the perspective of the 12th uh, ministerial um, conference that uh, we are going to have uh, in a few weeks. And uh, such discussions should continue even beyond uh, both for negotiations, but also uh, for uh, programming uh, in uh, the perspective of uh, some world uh, um, uh, Consideration of uh, uh, financing trade. We are um, aware that uh, trade is, uh, of course, uh, means to an end, but uh, it's uh, uh, indispensable to uh, make it in such a way that uh, trade will ensure a protection of uh, a clean environment. And uh,
0: of I'm course, trade you are uh, cutting out a stake. I can't, I
5: can't hear, can others hear? Yes. So,
6: I do not know if you can hear me, but allow me to
2: conclude.
6: Yes. I will conclude by saying that, uh, that, uh, Uh, what we are looking at will contribute to uh, preservation of the environment and improving the linkages between our trade and climate change. And uh, once again, I would like to uh, reiterate our thanks, our gratitude to the organizers of this event, an interesting event for us. And uh, uh, we hope that uh, such events are going to be organized once again in future uh, for us to be able to understand uh, the stakes Uh, regarding climate change and trade. Thank you,
0: moderator. Thank you very much. Uh, um, uh, Merci beaucoup, Monsieur Tala. And I I think this is the start of a conversation, not the end of these discussions uh, by far. Uh, Rolf, over to you for some last thoughts.
4: Very much, uh, Dr. Salim. Well, uh, I think that uh, there has been a lot of uh, talk these days as we approach COP 26 about raising ambitions. That countries need to increase ambitions, raise ambitions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This, of course, applies particularly to the greatest emitters, and of course, the LDCs are the smallest emitters but i think that uh, by the same token just like we have uh, to raise ambitions in uh, climatic and environmental terms there is uh, a very stringent need to raise ambitions in terms of providing ldcs with the means of implementations in terms of their development agenda of their climate agenda etc and here again i'd like to uh, to plead again and again for raising ambitions in terms of finance which is made an, available to LDCs Climate finance, but also other fines, uh, forms of uh, finance, ODA, and otherwise, but also in terms of uh, technology transfer. I mean, the technology transfer, in a sense, it's all over the place. It's in the UNF C, it's in the TRIPS Agreement, etc. It will uh, pop up in the new Plan of Action of LDCs, but I mean, unfortunately, very little actual action has been taken there. And I agree with what has been. Uh, uh, said here that it has to go in all directions, north-south, south-south, also south-north, but I mean, uh, there, there are international commission uh, commitments for north-south transfer, there are different ways in which this can be done, and uh, there are much more positive action has to be taken uh, in in this direction. Thank you. And uh, I finish my remarks here by thanking the organizers once again. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Ralph, and thank you for taking the time to be with us and share your thoughts. Uh, I'll give a minute each to Laura and Jodi to give us some thoughts on what next, Laura?
3: Thank you Salim and I'll be very brief. Um, Yes, thank you also to Rolf for spending time and joining us and for uh, Ms Tala giving us the LDC perspective. I think the LDCs have shown real leadership in engaging with this process and starting to look at how the linkages could be made. So I would simply say that we as the LDC partners be it uh, research organizations like IID and ODI, international institutions such as UNCTAD, donors, um, the World Bank, Uh, financial institutions that we should look to see how we can support this going forward, both through the financial kinds of commitments that we've talked about and also through the policy dialogues. So, as you say, hopefully
2: this is the start of the conversation.
0: Thank you. Judy, some last words?
2: Yes, thank you. So I would say to everyone, stay tuned because next week um, we will be screening a high-level um, event, a high-level event with opening remarks from um, the WTO DG, and within those remarks, you will really see, you know, her great commitment um, to ensuring that the LDCs' voice is heard on, in relation to trade and climate. So, in that respect, given the new leadership, there is um, room for optimism, you know, that we can move bef- between simply kind of observing the UNFCCC, observing the WTO, and ob- towards, you know, a more integrated and coordinated approach that's more in line with the SDG SDG Goal M17. And of course, the next COP will be in Africa, which is where most LDCs are are located. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very
0: much. So it remains for me to just uh, uh, wrap up. I'm going to share a few thoughts of my own on what I've heard and what I think we might be able to do together going forward. Uh, And then I will thank everybody and and close uh, the meeting. So let me start by saying that I have a long history with the LDCs in the climate change arena. In fact, I used to be at IID uh, for many years when I uh, started this work um, and I was instrumental in getting the least developed countries to form a group in the UN Framework Convention. They didn't uh, exist as a group from the beginning. They only formed a group around COP 6 and COP 7 uh, and ever since then, I have been uh, assisting and advising them in the climate change arena. But again, as I said, we are very siloed. We just do climate change. We don't do trade. We don't know anything about trade. Uh, and, and we need to learn. We need to uh, link the two. And even within the you know national delegations, the people who come to the COPs aren't the trade people. So we don't really know much about that. And similarly, people who go to WTO are not the climate people. So we need a, a better connection within the countries themselves and also at the global level in these various discussions, which are no longer... Uh, separate tracks. They have to be uh, synergized to a very great degree, uh, global to national to even local. And I I do believe we can do that. Uh, Just one uh, personal comment in response to the conversations just we had and the question from Simon Maxwell on the international air passenger levy. There is actually an LDC proposal that goes back way back to the Poznan COP. I was very much involved in it for an international air passenger levy to be given for adaptation funding at that time. Uh, it was quite well debated within the LDC group and these issues of, you know, whether it was uh, going to be cost-effective or negative impacts on, on some of the island states that are dependent on tourism. And we, we uh, discussed and analyzed that. And we found that, you know, a $5 levy on an international flight does not make a difference on whether somebody is going to travel, fly to Tuvalu or, or Maldives for a holiday or not. does not make a difference in in their decision on a a $1,000 or $1,500 flight. Um, On the other hand, we also agreed in the LDC group that this should not be exclusively just for rich countries. All countries, including LDCs, if they can afford to fly on an international flight, let's say between Nairobi and Kampala, they can afford the $5 extra to provide into this adaptation fund. So it was a well thought out proposal. It never made much headway in the COP itself, uh, other countries were not very happy. It never uh, got uh, moved forward, but it never died either. You know the proposal is still on the table. It's the least developed country proposal for an international air passenger levy uh, for adaptation at that time. In fact, they stopped now reviving it, not just for adaptation but for loss and damage, which is now a reality, and air passengers are polluters who are causing loss and damage, and therefore it would be an application of the polluter pay principle if we were to take it forward and get it adopted. So something food for thought for the researchers in this group uh, to think about, if you think it might be worth uh, reviving or having another look at it, Uh, I'd be very interested in exploring that myself as well. Uh, So it remains for me to thank uh, all the speakers who are with us here today. Thank you very much for giving your time, all the audience and the questioners for the questions and to EIF for funding this work and ODI and IID for doing an excellent uh, study. And, and the results of the study, I understand, will be available on the website, uh, where, which has been put up in the, uh, the Q&A chat box for everybody to access later on. So with that, let me conclude and thank everybody for being with us here today. Thank you very much. And wishing you a good rest of the day and coming two weeks. And particularly for anybody coming to Glasgow, please look me up. We can have a cup of coffee together. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Steve.
3: Bye-bye, everyone.